0: What's up, beardos? This is Julia Phillies Brook from Sanctuary Publishers, and you are listening to episode 122 from the Bearded Vegans.
1: Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to: don't be a jerk. Don't you answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I
2: really hope people didn't tune in to hear us
1: talk about beard.
2: Welcome to the show! I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Andy.
2: And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan.
1: If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com.
2: In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then conclude with an interview with Julia Feliz-Brook, the founder of Sanctuary Publishers and editor of Veganism in an Oppressive World.
1: Yeah, this is a really fantastic interview, and I am really looking forward to sharing it with all of the beautiful beardos out there.
2: I can't wait to hear it either, Andy.
1: But before we get to the interview, before we get to the news and the food, we got a little announcement to make. And that is that our next live podcast is going to be July 14th at the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And they just started announcing who all the other speakers are going to be. And it is quite a stacked lineup. (laughs) Bryant Terry is going to be there. Lauren Ornelas is going to be there. Honey LeBronx, the vegan drag queen, is going to be there. Uh, Erica from Detroit Vegan Soul is going to be there. And they just announced the headlining speaker. And that is going to be... (laughs) Risen. whoa so yeah this event is really stepping it up with some really interesting speakers and people you don't see at every single veg fest i know this is no t colin campbell right (laughs) but this is gonna be such a fun time and we will announce what we're gonna be talking about and maybe if we have some special guests let a later date but really wanted to get this out there now and hype people up because we're really excited about it
2: what if like rizza goes on and does this whole thing and everyone's like he's talking a lot about oil for some reason (laughs) and then at the very end he just rips off a mask and it's t colin campbell underneath
1: (laughs) and then t colin campbell rips off his mask and it's actually (laughs) pen (laughs) gillette just throws popcorn at everyone and then runs away
2: (laughs) oh boy um, yeah, that, that's ridiculously exciting, and I am super excited about that. I don't have to travel very far. Andy, we can get some roulette in afterwards in good old AC.
1: <laughs> if there's one thing I know about you, Paul, it's that you love roulette.
2: <laughs> and by loves that roulette, I play it once every few years. But this is it, coming up.
1: Was the last time you played roulette near me when we saw Slipknot? Did I play it when we saw him? Yes, we saw Slipknot in a casino, and afterwards we went out and you played roulette. You lost all your money, and then I gave you more money, and then you lost that money.
2: <laughs> no, you're making me look bad, Andy. We're talking like what ten, ten, fifteen dollars here.
1: Yeah, not my yeah, entire yeah.
2: life savings.
1: Yeah, something like that, ten or fifteen dollars. But Paul, yes, Andy, ten dollars can go a long way. It's true. It's nothing to scoff at.
2: It can't. Nothing to scoff at. <sighs>
1: Paul. All right, let's get this show on the road. <laughs> Ooh, hey, Beardos. Andy here. So at this point in the recording, my computer decided that it just wanted to randomly not recognize my nice microphone and switch over to the internal laptop microphone. Of course, it doesn't sound nearly as good. It's not unlistenable, but just wanted to acknowledge and let you know what happened and your ears are not deceiving you. There is a discernible drop in quality. So apologies for that. We are working on it. I guess all the more reason why we need to invest in new equipment. But with all of that said, let's get back to the show.
2: Andy, you've been traveling a little bit. What have you been eating?
1: I've been traveling at a breakneck speed. I was in Connecticut like 10 days ago, and right now I'm in Los Angeles. But before I got to LA, I made a little stop in Phoenix, Arizona, and did the PHX Vegan Food Festival, and it was awesome. It was a great day. It was my first time being exposed to sun for more than like 10 minutes at a time (laughs) for maybe three or four months, so... That was really nice, but a lot of great beardos came by, a lot of returning beardos, and as you know, we don't usually try and say the names of returning beardos, but you know who you are. Thank you. One correction, though, uh, Tess came by, and I guess last time I, my handwriting was so horrible that when I read it, I was like, Tess or Jess, I'm not sure, so let it be known, Tess is officially the Beardo in Phoenix. I got to meet <laughs> Derek, who is that vegan trucker on Instagram and someone that's been supporting us Ooh. since like pretty much the very beginning. And yeah. always hits us up with some good food wrecks when I came through Tucson. So that was awesome. Got to meet Eric. Got to meet Ryan. And then there was someone that was like talking to me about the podcast. And then another person was like, oh, yeah, I like the podcast, too. What's up, Beardo? And and I thought they were going to stick around and get a button and a sticker. And then they just kind of took off. So I just wrote mystery person. So uh, <laughs> mystery person, uh, thank you for saying hi. I'm sorry I didn't get your name. and get to talk a little bit more.
2: Nice.
1: Yes. Anyway, on the food front, I went to Crossroads Kitchen in Los Angeles, and this is a real fancy schmancy kind of place. <laughs> uh, I had I had never been there before, even though I know a lot of people say it's like the best food they've ever had in their lives. I did attempt to do takeout from them uh, like last year or so, <laughs> and it was really comical because... I guess they don't really do takeout. You know, it's like a fancy place. You pay a lot of money for, like, a little bit of food on a plate. And, it's you know, you don't get the full experience if you do takeout. But I called, and they were kind of snooty about the whole thing. But they did (laughs) let me do takeout from a limited menu, and I showed up in... This is like the place where like celebrities go and everyone that yeah. goes, there's like, oh my God, Moby was next to me and Kat Von D was over there. And I am wearing flip-flops and athletic <laughs> shorts and like a stained t-shirt and I hadn't showered in like three days. <laughs> and I tried to pay cash at like the front of the door, like, oh, we can only take cash at the bar. So I had to like walk through the whole restaurant. Oh, yes. <laughs> just looking like this beach bum. And uh, it was... It was, uh, it was an experience. It was an experience. So I I don't know. It's not usually my type of place, I guess, but I was visiting some friends. They really wanted to go there. So we went and I have to say it was fantastic. Totally a different experience than the takeout. Go figure. Uh, the one thing I really wanted to highlight was this spicy meatball that (laughs) was actually not that spicy, but it was a a spicy meatball pizza. Oh my God. It was so good. It was Hmm. so good. It was so good. I could never afford to pay for this regularly, but (laughs) wow, it was awesome. So yeah, I got to say, Crossroads. Turns out, (laughs) don't do takeout from Crossroads. (laughs) All right, well, that's all I got for food that I want to mention right now. I am, of course, out here and eating all the delicious things, and people should go to our Instagram, the old Bearded Vegans Instagram, to see those beautiful food pics. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. I have a feeling there's some donut friend pictures coming soon.
2: Ooh, can't wait to see those.
1: Yeah. Paul, you eat anything delicious this week?
2: Absolutely nothing, Andy. I had some good food, but nothing nothing notable.
1: Well, then I think it's time for us to move on into the news.
2: So I'm going to bring up this first news story, which is certainly related to veganism, but I think I wanted to bring it up more to have the discussion surrounding the, the I guess, the need or the necessity of this type of news story rather than the news story itself. So the story, this was the, the front page story on VegNews.com, and it was titled, Kevin Smith considers going vegan after heart attack. And it's a pretty short article, but I'm just going to read a little snippet. Famed filmmaker slash actor Kevin Smith announced he is considering adopting a plant-based diet. Smith suffered a heart attack over the weekend and took to Instagram to discuss his brush with death. Total strangers saved my life tonight, Smith said. This is all part of my mythology now, and I'm sure I'll be facing some lifestyle changes. Parentheses, maybe it's time to go vegan. So, I guess, I wanted to bring this up because, Andy, this is not the first time that there's been a heart attack related veganism news story. I think the last one was, it was some, it was like a fitness guy who was vegan and then wasn't vegan anymore if i remember correctly and then had a heart attack
1: was that bob harper
2: yes i believe it was and if i remember correctly like when these sorts of stories happen i feel like sometimes vegans see this as an opportunity for advocacy and personally i just feel like this is a it's it's an inappropriate time to be promoting veganism i guess i'm I'm sure a lot of people would would disagree with me but I, i will also say i went to kevin smith's instagram and he made like a pretty long post and the the going vegan part was just one little snippet of it so who knows if if he actually was sincere about that, if he's actually going to do it. I know his daughter is vegan, so he's been exposed to this stuff before. So it's not just, it's it's probably not just a like a random offhand comment that he's making. But I guess, Andy, I wanted to bring it up because it just seems like such a weird thing to be putting at the 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 top news story. It just seems like capitalizing on someone else's tragedy or some, so, something really hard that someone else is going through to kind of promote the vegan cause.
1: Yeah, I think the difference with this and, say, the Bob Harper thing is that with Bob Harper and with other, you know, notable celebrities that have heart attacks, I feel like the vegans sort of jump it. the vegans. <laughs> 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 we are vegans, of course, uh, jump on this thing. And they say, well, if only this person had gone vegan, they could have prevented this heart attack. And this one is a little bit different. Because this is straight up Kevin Smith saying, maybe it's time for me to go vegan. And so he's the one that's inserting veganism into the conversation. So I think that Mm -hmm. complicates things a little bit more because it's not like vegans are trying to sort of shoehorn it into the conversation and say, well, you should have done this and you wouldn't have had that. And obviously we've talked about the issues with saying that going vegan guarantees you're not going to have a heart attack. And so I, so I, I guess that's where things get complicated for me. Like, I, I don't mind people necessarily saying, hey, Kevin Smith said this after his heart attack, because they're sort of accurately representing what it is that he said. But I also think it's it's maybe irresponsible to to spread it around as if going vegan is the heart attack cure.
2: Yeah. And I will say to people's credit. I did kind of scroll through some of the Instagram comments. Obviously, there was like a thousand of them, so I couldn't scroll through all them, but I was scrolling through them and trying to do like a control F, finding any mention of the word vegan. And (laughs) the comments that I saw, I was surprised, pleasantly so, at how positive that they were. So for instance, I saw someone's comment that was, please go whole foods, plant-based vegan. We're not ready to lose you. If you haven't watched the documentaries, What the Health and Forks Over Knives, I highly recommend them. You can take control of your health. We love you. And another one was, sending good energy your way. Hope you recover soon. We all support you. It sounds like a plant-based diet can definitely help your situation. Even if it's not strictly vegan, it can make a world of difference. We're all cheering for you. So I was happy to see that they were positive comments. And and I even saw one that said, I'm so happy you're still with us. If you go vegan, I'll go vegan. So I was like, huh, that's, I guess there's the, the power of uh, celebrities, Andy.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: So, I don't know. It, it it definitely was nicer to see that it had a, a positive atmosphere to it rather than some of the other stories like th- that you were just talking about, Andy, where it's more like saying this would not have happened to you if you were vegan. And and it's definitely not as, I think, disease shamey as these stories could be. It still rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. I, I still don't think it was a, you know, front page top news story sort of ordeal, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I guess what sort of rubs me the wrong way is that it's sort of uh, promoting veganism or at least plant-based eating out of fear more Mm -hmm. than, more than sort of any ethical concerns. And actually did have a conversation with one of the beardos at the the veg fest this past weekend. And it's not the first time I've had a conversation like this. So I, I think that, maybe it's important for us to kind of clarify like how we feel about the health argument. I know we've done a few podcasts about it, but not everyone can listen to all of them. We have an extensive back catalog at this point, (laughs) but like for me personally, I don't think that it should never be a part of the conversation, but I think it's, it's a, a tool in the tool belt in so much as basically able to say like, yeah, you can be as healthy as, a non-vegan can by being vegan. I don't think we need to prove it's the superior diet health-wise. I don't think we need to prove that it's going to disease-proof you from everything in life because we know that that's not true. But I do think that like it's there. It's a tool. And for some people, that will be an additional factor. Like It's like people want to help animals, but then they're worried that they're going to have to harm themselves health-wise in order to do it. And so like being able to let people know, no, you're not going to harm yourself. And then in some cases, yes, there might actually be some benefits, but that's not necessarily going to happen for everybody. I think that like painting a realistic picture is, is important. And so, yeah, when, when there's stories like this, it's sort of grabbing onto a specific aspect of it. That's like trying to get people to go vegan or at least plant-based out of fear for, for themselves and, There are people that start out, you know, vegan or plant-based for their health, and then that opens them up to the ethical arguments. So I don't want to deny that at all as well. And I know that you and I, Paula, we've talked about, like, we don't ever want to shame someone for, say, uh, not being vegan for the, quote, right reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, the effect is going to be good for the animals, regardless of whatever your motivation is. But I also think that we know that people stick with it they're more likely to stick with it if they do it for ethical reasons. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel really conflicted about stories like these. But overall, it, it, yeah, I feel like it's not front page news.
2: I think I just the only thing I want to add on is when I'm talking to someone about this kind of stuff, I think I like to try to get the point across that whatever your goals are or however you want to eat, you can do that on a vegan diet. Because I I think that's, I feel like that's attractive to people. If they want to eat, you know, guardian chicken tenders all day, they can still, they can do that if they, so (laughs) who does that? I don't know. But if they want to eat, you know, if they want to eat, I should just say chicken tenders in general all day, they, they still have that option on a vegan diet. If there's someone that right now eats chicken tenders all day, but they're like, Hmm, I don't know if I really want to continue eating like this. I want to eat more plants and vegetables and and all that jazz you can say cool you can do that on a vegan diet like whatever your whatever your goals are in terms of your eating it's possible on a vegan diet and i think if we can get that point across it it definitely makes it it seem more accessible and it breaks down some of the barriers of seeming like it's impossible to go vegan or that you're going to have to give up food when you go vegan. I know this was a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's kind of related.
1: Tangents are what we're here to do, Paul.
2: <laughs> so I think that's all I wanted to say about this article, Andy.
1: Yeah, we're done with this one, Paul. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Andy, in this next article, this is um, this one, this one piqued my interest. Uh, we I do not know how to pronounce for sure this specific food. It's G.A.R.I. We are choosing to pronounce it Gary, and um, it could be Gary, but let's just do Gary.
1: We could say that this Gary is not scary.
2: (laughs) So this is actually a page off of the JustForAll.com website, which is the Just Company, all capitals J-U-S-T, formerly known as Hampton Creek. I did not realize that they changed their name to Just.
1: You know, I had this realization kind of recently upon seeing that their Instagram, I think, is just called Just Foods or Just Now. And and then seeing they, they rebranded it. And even like the Just logo from when they were J- Hampton Creek and doing Just Mayo. Now it's sort of this like blocky J-U-S-T that sort of makes a square sorry, this is not a visual medium <laughs> I'm trying to describe <laughs> this in. And then I, I looked all over the place and I really couldn't find any mention of Hampton Creek. And even if you go to hamptoncreek.com, it just redirects you to justforall.com. So it seems like they kind of silently, quietly rebranded their name. And I can't imagine why they would do that. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I, I, I will say, I think the, the name Just... Gets across more so their, you know, what they're trying to show is their philosophies than Hampton Creek, which doesn't, to me at least, doesn't have any affiliations with anything. Yeah.
1: Well, I, yeah, I would definitely like to talk a little bit more about motivations behind the, the rebranding after we go through this story, but let's put, let's put a pin in that for sure.
2: All right. So this is a page on the Just For All website, and it's called The Power of Gary, and it was released in February. So it's very, very recent. Musu is my next door neighbor. She's a mom who wants to feed her kids good food. Musu lives in Liberia and is among the millions of parents who struggle to provide healthy food for their families. It's a hidden kind of hunger that affects over 2.1 billion people around the world, particularly children and pregnant mothers. This isn't the same as the pictures we see of kids with distended bellies. It's a lack of nutrients, not a lack of food. Rice is food. Potato chips are food. Both are widely available, but insufficient to nourish Musu and her family we need an approach that ends this enormous justice gap. The product we're launching this month, Just Power Gary, like oatmeal, is produced by our Liberian partner Kawada Farms with ingredients sourced locally from small scale farmers, most of them women. It's priced to be affordable and made to be delicious and nutrient rich while guaranteeing that our partner can run a sustainable business. Over 650 kids are eating Just Power Gary today, and more will be eating it tomorrow. Millions of meals will be served this year. What we're doing in Liberia, and soon many countries, is not rocket science, but the simplest approaches are often the most enduring. And this is written by Taylor Quinn, who is the Just Director of Emerging Markets.
1: Paul, you know, the first thing that strikes me is the comparison to that Bill Gates story that we recently covered, which was all about Mm -hmm. sort of making these super cows and super pigs. And we were talking about how, like, why not just invest in, like, vegan alternatives? And we sort of made the distinction between, well, there's the U.S. market and, like, the sort of way more affluent markets where it makes sense to work on these plant-based meats, but then maybe there are areas of the world, or definitely there are areas of the world where that is not necessarily a viable alternative and and maybe it is the best alternative to work on these super cows or something and this obviously every area has its own challenges but this is sort of an example of someone saying well let's work on the plant based alternatives to tackling these problems
2: it's almost as if they were listening
1: to us andy and they
2: they heard <laughs> us they heard us talking about that bill gates episode and they said no 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 We have the solution. You know,
1: I get the feeling they listen to us a lot, Paul.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's I think it's cool. Again, I I don't like this is it wasn't a like a super informative little post. It was just kind of to to inform you that this is a thing that's happening. So it's not like I know, you know, the ins and outs of how they're distributing this and, and what the nutrients are and stuff like that. But I am. Behind the idea of it, it it, it seems to me if it's if it's, you know, like an oatmeal like product, I imagine it's hopefully not super expensive to produce. It's not needing to be maintained like it like an animal would be like a cow. You don't need to maintain it. So it seems easy to produce, easy to distribute. And if that's the case and, and it's packed with nutrients, then I think that that's that's cool that they're doing this.
1: Is it bad that I feel so incredibly cynical about what they're doing?
2: Why, Andy? Why?
1: Well, on its face, I'm like, okay, obviously this is good that that world hunger is being addressed. I'm always wary of, like, Western countries going into disadvantaged nations and saying, like, we know what's best for you. I'm glad that they're partnering with, with farmers there. It seems like from from when I was doing my research, they sort of went in and said, like, what do you need? And they helped to provide it. But I'm still a little wary because I don't know enough information about it. But also, like, let's talk about what the hell happened to Hampton Creek, because we (laughs) spent so much time talking about everything that was going on with Target and the, the anonymous recall letters. And and that really seems to have really just royally screwed up Hampton Creek because that happened and i see their products almost nowhere now. Like sometimes i see the mayo, sometimes i see some of the the flavored mayos and dressings occasionally, but it is so much harder to find now. I haven't seen the cookie dough. I haven't seen any of the box mixes. I haven't seen the cookies. Any of that stuff is just totally gone and it feels like that was i thought they could recover from that, but it feels like that was just thing that they're just like our public like the public's opinion of us is so in the toilet that we need to do something really drastic. So they quietly rebrand, because even in articles about this stuff, it said like new tech startup, and I'm like, this. Is, I mean, they changed the hmm. name, but I don't know. I don't know if like Josh Tetrick's still involved. I don't. I don't know any of that stuff right now. But it is just. It's all just very suspicious. And so, like the first big promotional push they come out with is this thing where they're tackling world hunger, and all it feels like they're trying to like sort of greenwash themselves or humane wash or i don't know world hunger wash themselves whatever the term is in this particular instance so i guess it just makes me wary of their attempt to save face after everything that happened and again i think this is if if this is what it seems to be on the surface it's a good way of saving face like they're helping people but i'm also just really i've grown to be grown to be very suspicious of them so i'm like (laughs) what's your game here
2: but remember, the, the, the target thing wasn't even their fault, really. It was a malicious attack, Andy. It
1: it was. But I'm just I'm just wondering because, I don't know, we also read some articles about some unsavory stuff going on there. And uh, I don't know. It's just I'm just like, what's, what's I want to have here? hope,
2: Andy. I want to have hope. <laughs> I
1: know, the mayo is so good, but
2: <laughs> I, I so it's like I, I totally get what you're saying but i can also see why i could see why they would want to rebrand themselves even if it if it, like without any malicious intent just being like they've smeared the bad name they've smeared mayo over our name and we need to kind of change that so it's like i i do get what you're saying but i i don't know for a fact and i i don't think you know for a fact if if like why they chose to do this or what the rationale was behind it and I do agree with you that it's it's you know, it's healthy to be skeptical about some things, but from what you were saying and from what I've read also, that it seems like in terms of tackling these sorts of issues, from my perspective, obviously I'm not a anywhere near an expert in these sorts of things, but it seems like they're going about it the right way in that they are partnering with local groups and then hopefully so that most of the like the responsibility and the decision making about you know how to distribute them and where to distribute them will hopefully get passed down to the you know the local groups because they're the ones that are going to need to know they're the ones that that know what to do with it so it it seems like in my perspective as a first as this kind of this is the first step of this just power gary it seems like it's I'm hoping, going in the positive direction.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your optimism, Paul. I just <laughs> feel like I have to be skeptical. You know, I just did a, a, just a quick quick little bit of research, and there's actually an article from June 9th, 2017, from BuzzFeed that said, Hampton Creek has ditched its name and is now just. So this is old news, and I feel so completely out of the loop. However, <laughs> this this news was like, there was already a rebranding and, like, already a repackaging of their stuff. And and so what we're talking about is, like, yet another rebranding because they changed their website to eatjust.com. And now if you go to eatjust.com, it still goes to Just for All. So I don't know. I guess I'm just – I'm, like, are you okay, Hampton Creek? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, worried because they're promising that they're going to have clean meat out within a year and they're doing all these things and now this is coming out of nowhere and it just – It feels like they're very sort of scattershot all over the place. And I'm just, I'm worried. I'm worried about them as much as I am skeptical.
2: If any of their things take off and and are successful, I hope that it's this one.
1: Yes. All right. I think we can agree on that. (laughs) All right. Let's move into this final story. This is a pretty interesting one. This comes to us from MeatPoultry.com on February 22nd, Mm. although this was covered at the Good Food Institute as well. Uh, The title of the post is Tyson Foods Looks to Accelerate Growth Outside Meat Space.
2: Meat space.
1: It's like a way grosser outer space.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the layers. When you take a rocket ship and you go through the atmosphere, it's one of the layers that you go through.
1: (laughs) Not according to Flat Earthers, Paul. (laughs) <laughs> uh so i'll read a little bit from this tyson foods presentation at the consumer analyst group of new york conference on february 20th made one thing clear well tyson foods core business may be in meat proteins management views tyson as a food company an enterprise focused on accelerating growth in a variety of categories outside the meat space the meat space yeah. Quote, we play across beef, pork, chicken, of course, said Thomas P. Hayes, president and CEO, during the company's presentation. We are also playing across plant-based proteins. You've seen a lot of that, and I'm sure there's going to be some questions about it. But we are openly disrupting ourselves to continue to drive to the next level of improvement and next level advantage for us and our shareholders. So uh, this is pretty interesting because when I saw this posted by good food Institute and it, you know, the articles like Tyson moves into plant-based protein sector. And I assumed knowing what we know that Tyson owns 5% or invested in 5% of beyond meat. And there's this whole thing about how like they were going to sort of share the technology with that and with clean, like all these things that were going on. I assumed that means that Tyson was going to launch this brand of their own version of probably something very similar to beyond meat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when they explain what the plant-based protein thing is, it's going to be this thing called green street, which is quote the plant-based protein snack brand that will be reintroduced by the company later this year. It features grab and go bowls that will be merchandised in the fresh deli department. Uh, And green street products will feature such ingredients as quinoa, lentils and chickpeas in chef inspired flavors. So they're just repackaging the stuff that we've had forever. ever.
2: So, it, I mean, it is interesting to point out that Green Street is the name of they're launching a new brand. So it's possible that fake meat will make it into some of those bowls in the future. And they just haven't gone there yet.
1: Paul, it's not fake meat. It's real meat made from plants.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Uh, it's in the meat space. Is, is fake meat is, is, is plant based meat in the meat space?
1: Uh, I I think they want it to be,
2: (laughs) but it, it, I, I, I agree with you though, Andy, because in, in your surprise that it didn't include any plant-based meats because I actually read through the article and then I was like, wait, they didn't mention anything about tofu or seitan or anything like that. So I read through it again and I was like, oh, I still didn't see anything. So I literally read through the article twice because I thought that I had missed where they talked about the, the plant-based meats, but no, it's just, quinoa, lentils, chickpeas, and those delicious delicious chef-inspired flavors.
1: it's almost like why is this a new story? Why why is this getting pressed? Why like I think I've seen a lot of vegans sharing it around being like, "Oh my god, Tyson's getting in on the game." And it's like, "Okay, I guess this move will probably mean places like 7-Eleven or like an airport grab and go kind of place is going to be more likely to have a at least vegetarian meal. Who knows if they're going to be 100% vegan. But I don't know, it just it doesn't seem like it's this big, huge, innovative thing. And they're getting a lot of press because of it.
2: Yeah. And and some of the articles I saw covering the topic, of course, they're saying, you know, the titles are Tyson entering the vegan game, stuff like that. They link this article that we've been reading and the article is longer than we read. And, and one of the parts that we didn't read was the other grab and go bowls that are coming out that are not vegan. They have eggs and other stuff in them. So it's. The 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 vegan portion of it, if it is vegan, is just one small aspect of what they're releasing. And I mean, not to say that I don't think it's good that they have they're releasing anything like this, but I don't know. I I I don't want it. I guess I'm I should be happy, Andy. I should be happy that they're doing this. I feel like it's slightly being blown out of proportion, but I'm glad that they're doing this rather than not doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I always feel about these things that where there's sort of this double-edged sword of the horrible nature of, of capitalism and these giant companies that, that act unethically. And it's like, okay, well we want them to produce vegan food, but do we really want to be giving money to a corporation that even if they're all vegan, they're probably still going to be doing some really unethical stuff with like their workers or environmental practices or whatever it is. But yeah, I'm like, okay, well if, if, if it's between this and it not happening, I'd rather this be happening than it not happening, which is kind of where I fall.
0: The, the
2: fact that it's quinoa, lentils, chickpeas leads me to believe that they're more, capitali- cap- yep, that they're more capitalizing on the, the health food trend rather than the vegan trend. Like, I, I feel like if they were capitalizing on the vegan trend, we might see things more along the lines of the Gardein products, like those sweet, sweet chicken tenders.
1: Yeah, the other products they were showing, like they're making protein packs that are just hard boiled egg cheddar cheese and almonds you know and that's, that's like majority not plant based food Yeah. so I don't know it's it's weird to me that everyone's kind of glomming on like this is some big progressive thing that they're doing and really they're like capitalizing on the, the foods that like the, the most economically disadvantaged people around the world are eating already and they're just going to yeah. sort of repackage it and sell it at a higher price
2: yeah maybe not we don't know what price point they're going to sell it at
1: they got to make some money, Paul.
2: Yeah, but maybe that's going to be their target is to make, you know, cheap, affordable stuff for people. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm just wildly <laughs> speculating. So optimistic. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying not because I feel like <laughs> at least with this story and most of the other ones, we're just kind of like, Pfft, nope, this is why this is a <laughs> terrible thing. <laughs>
1: Uh, alright well I think we'll we'll leave that there we'd love to know what all the, the wonderful beardos think about these news stories and you can send us emails to beardvegans at gmail.com now coming up we have this really amazing interview with Julia from Sanctuary Publishers we cover a lot of really great topics talk about this new book Veganism in an Oppressive World which is a collection of essays from a variety of authors with a lot of different perspectives and, and life experiences highly recommend people check it out but before we get to the interview, Paul, mm-hmm. we got something new to do.
2: Yeah, so last week we announced in, in last week's episode that we we're going to start accepting monetary support. And you can, if you feel so inclined, obviously no one needs to do this. You still have access to all these episodes, even if you choose not to. You can go over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. And there are two different ways. You can either support us through PayPal or through a Patreon account. But on the Patreon, one of the perks for donating is to get a little shout out on the show. So we've already gotten, even though this is, at the time of this recording, this is actually the first day. We're only about 12 hours deep into our Patreon account. We were both pleasantly surprised and, dare I say, giddy, <laughs> that, uh, that, that people are some people had already donated. So we just wanted to give a shout out to those people.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like 12 hours is even pretty generous because <laughs> the podcast doesn't usually get posted till like what, like four or five in the morning, something like that.
2: That's true. So, That's true. But we know those beardos that are the, <laughs> waiting impatiently at four, five in the morning. The, Where's my podcast?
1: The fact that I was able to wake up at 7 a.m. and already see that a few people had, had signed up to pledge on Patreon and it was amazing because A lot of them are names that we recognize and people we've interacted with and and met at fests or had communication with email. So it's just, I don't know, it's just really cool to even, to have all that happen before we even woke up in the day. But yeah, it's got to give a huge shout out to Pauline O,
2: Janet I, Lane, Matt C,
1: Jennifer L, Sophia V, Lucas G, Darren C, and Ari F.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We, for some- we cannot thank you enough.
1: <laughs> but we'll try as much as we can. <laughs> and yeah, if you if you would like to help support the podcast, you can just go to the beardedvegans.com slash Beardo. That's B-E-A-R-D-O. And that'll give you some options for what to do. We got cool prizes uh, anyone that signs up on the patreon they'll get access to the bonus episodes there's already one episode up in there right now you can get early access to episodes and all that stuff so thank you to everyone that has done that and again we we super appreciate it
2: so let's get to this interview Andy.
1: let's do it Our guest today is Julia Feliz-Brooke, Brook, is the founder of Sanctuary Publishers. Julia, thank you for joining us on the show today.
0: Hi, thanks for having me on.
1: So we always like to start with people's vegan journey. So what did that look like for you? What was the inspiration and sort of how did it all come together and perhaps evolve over time?
0: It's pretty, pretty simple. Um, I like to say that. After the credits rolled, I became vegan, and uh, those credits were Earthlings. <laughs> the the... <laughs> I, I was probably vegan five seconds into the movie, I think. So. <laughs> wow,
2: <laughs>
0: that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I just it's it's weird to think that you know watching this. I think I was in shock. I cried. I, um, and, you know, a lot of people say they can't. Uh, you know, watch it. it but I, I I remember covering my eyes at certain points. And but I, I just I watched it to the end. And it was life changing. And it's weird that because I have had non vegan say, but you didn't actually have realized this beforehand. And it's like, no, I, I really didn't. I didn't think about any of these things. And then suddenly it was right in my face. Even though I considered myself um, an animal lover. So, yeah, I became fully vegan while in Puerto Rico. At the time, I was actually living in Ireland, but I left uh, and then I got married, and uh, my husband um, lived in Ireland. So, I went back to Ireland and then I kept growing in my veganism in Ireland, middle of nowhere, country uh, side of Ireland. <laughs> um, I started a local group, um, I became a contact for the Vegan Society, Um, then I connected with a a group in Dublin, um, the National Animal Rights Association, uh, which is run by Laura Broxen, and she was an incredible support. And so I I then started doing um, tabling, screenings, protests, um, vigils, newspaper, radio interviews, and every time I would come home, uh, I, I, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, but I, at 12 I moved to Florida. So I say home, uh, Florida, because my mom's still there. So every time I would come back, I would also do protests and things like that. But eventually um, the economic crisis hit and uh, we were forced to move. And we ended up in Switzerland, which is where I currently live. And unfortunately, even though there are four... Languages spoken in Switzerland, I did not speak any of those languages <laughs> So I became isolated and You know my activism became more I guess you could say individual and also uh, Facebook and all those social media platforms had taken off at that point So um, I became more social media focused as well and I kept writing and then randomly and after the birth of my first son, uh, my first baby, I started taking a, an illustration course because I had always been in my background is in science, but I had always been in between science and art. And um, I came up with this idea for a board book. Um, so I wrote and illustrated it and it's called uh, Libby Finds Vegan Sanctuary. And it's based on a real life turkey that lives in a sanctuary in kindred spirits. And my mom actually helped rescue her. And I, I just wanted to have, um, like, a, a resource for parents, but also I wanted to tell her story. And I figured I could do this through my abilities as an artist and as a writer. And um, so I published that. And then, based on another personal experience, I ended up uh, publishing the Baby and Toddler Vegan Feeding Guide under Sanctuary Publishers. And, you know, all this time, I kept growing in my awareness of not just veganism and animal rights, but of course, like other oppressions and um, my own oppressions. And as I say, decolonizing my mind and and um, and drawing connections. And that's what led me to the book that we're talking about today, which is veganism in an oppressive world.
1: Wow. Uh, You know, it's funny because we're, we're often On the show, we love reviewing films and talking about, are things effective? And and there we have it right there, just five minutes into Earthlings Vegan, and then all of this activism that's ensued since there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, tell us a little bit more about Sanctuary Publishers before we get to the book. Was this just sort of, I need to get this out, and this is the best way to do it? Do you have anyone else helping you? Um, and, And like what's kind of the mission of Sanctuary Publishers?
0: It sort of happened after my first book. I started writing the second book. And I had put in so much effort and work um, into the first one and learning the ropes and understanding what things worked, what didn't with regards to book publishing. And, you know, uh, at one point I realized, you know, that I could do this on my own um, for others um, in the way that I always wanted, which in, you know, I am the kind of person that's always trying to do something. It, it sounds kind of like, eh, <laughs> like, but it's really it's weird it's part of who I am like I love doing things for other people um, including um, non-humans and it it I realized that that I could just do this and do it the, the way that I wanted it done which meant you know support marginalized groups through the content but also through the sales of the book because I, I, I wanted to give back and it was then you know it was all nerve-wracking because it's it's a huge decision. Of course, my husband was supportive and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> um, but I also, you know, hope that I could help raise the voices of other marginalized um, communities and hopefully help them, um, you know, get their own work out there on behalf of non-humans and, of course, um, on behalf of their own communities um, without them feeling exploited and used for their hard work. So that's where where this came from.
1: And so yeah, let's let's get to the book. I just I recently finished it and thought it was such a fantastic resource, Veganism in an Oppressive World. And you've already spoken to this a little bit, but can you tell us more specifically what is this book And why did you feel the need to to make it? And who do you think this book is for?
0: So Veganism in an Oppressive World is literally a a community project from start to finish um, by Vegans of Color. And it's a book that guides mainstream vegans to understand how other oppressions intersect with veganism and also explains how this knowledge will actually help propel the movement forward for non-human animals and their liberation. So there are poems, essays, um, short reflections, and even an interview written by uh, vegans of color from many different um, communities. And I needed to, to put this out there and, and, and um, you know, plainly mainstream veganism is messing up and it's basically a step-by-step guide on how to stop messing up and understanding that without fixing um, their movement it's simply going to remain um, a French movement um, that only reaches a small privileged view and I know that it's really tough um, to hear and have you know these conversations but as someone um, you know part of the vegan movement but also part of oppressed and marginalized communities veganism isn't reaching more people because it really has some issues that it needs to tend to.
1: Absolutely. And and I love that the book includes such a myriad of voices and I think a lot that even even people that feel like sort of relatively familiar with essays of this nature there was still plenty in there that I found myself, you know, I had never read a perspective from this person before, so I think it definitely it opened me up to a lot of different viewpoints as well. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the process of, of curating all of this writing uh, and, and maybe highlight some of the authors that are found within the book.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it, I couldn't have done this without um, the the support um, and hard work from, from uh, the community and all the contributors were, were just amazing and Um, It basically all started with a a prompt um, after I identified a huge problem that needed to be addressed. Um, I started hanging out in um, in groups of uh, only um, people of color. And I realized that a lot of the times, um, you know, every time a, a vegan of color would speak up about veganism, they would be disregarded because, oh, white vegans, um, they don't understand. Like, you know, they only care about animals or non-humans and um, they don't care about, you know, our our oppression. And basically, a lot of times, you know, the voices of of color within mainstream veganism are ignored. So I put out a call for submissions and and I was fortunate that many vegans of color um, understood the need for it and um, believed in the they had to support it as well with their passion and their hard work, um, even though they are also struggling with their own, um, you know, issues and in, in daily lives. And all the, the contributors were pretty much on the same page that I am, because even though we're from different communities, uh, we do have shared oppression. Um, We share experiences. So reading some of them actually left me in tears and um, or feeling validated or, you know, but but above all, I I learned from each and every every one of them because we still experience the world differently as well as veganism differently. And I think every single person that that contributed to it is, is equally... Uh, Their voice is equally as important. And, you know, we we had uh, really young um, contributors that are still high school age. Um, We also had more uh, well-known vegans such as uh, Michelle Carrera from Chili's on Wheels as well. And uh, also Sarita Rodriguez, who's who's also uh, big in uh, food justice, and she's a published author as well. But, yeah, it's, it, it was an incredible group of people. And, and also, even now, Meneka Repka, she she did the cover. And our designer is from Mexico, Dane. And she, she's amazing as well.
1: And uh, the book has been out, came out in uh, November 2017, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now that it's been out for a few months, what has the reception been?
0: I think it's been really positive. And in a way, also... A bit surprising as well because i think it also became a tool for for vegans of color who weren't actually sure how to explain to mainstream vegan veganism what some of the issues are you know a lot of uh vegans of color has have, have been speaking for years and years of you know vegan spaces not being safe because oftentimes you find so much racism and you know, classism or, you know, people of color will find white vegans targeting people of color for specific way that they exploit animals, even though all communities exploit animals. So uh, I think it's been, yeah, it's been well received.
1: Well, I'm glad it's getting a good, solid reception. Um, I do want to get into some of the content of the book, and of course, it's a collection of writings from from several different authors, so I don't want to ask you to speak to any of their particular experiences, but I thought there is sort of a wealth of information just in the introduction alone and maybe we could get to some of that. So in the introduction of the book it's noted that to uphold veganism one must stand against non human animal exploitation and, and recognize that it's a movement that centers non human animals and therefore vegans must reject the idea that veganism upholds human rights by default and i'm wondering if you could sort of explain what you mean by this
0: well just because one is vegan um doesn't mean that one you know isn't racist or classist or sexist or xenophobic or um homophobic or transphobic it it, you know um veganism is part of the social justice umbrella and veganism is is uh, basically the part that deals with the oppression of non-humans by humans. Um, There's no point to veganism if it focuses on human rights above non-human rights, because then you just have the oppressors putting themselves above the oppressed. I think it was um, Sarah Woodcock once said to me, you know, veganism and animal rights um, are basically the only movement non-humans have for themselves. So, um, and also, like I said at the beginning, just because you go vegan doesn't mean that you're automatically, you know, free from any other oppression <laughs> <laughs> in the world. And, and it, we laugh but but there, I read that so much. You know, for example, if, if I'm speaking about racism with someone, they'll say, well, I've never seen racism. And <laughs> vegans are the most, you know, selfless and less racist. Well, actually, that's not true. And if you're not someone that experiences racism, how do you know what racism looks like?
1: So I think that something that that I have at least seen is that a lot of people use that idea that, well, like, veganism is about the animals. And then they kind of use that to reject that they need to care about any other oppressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so something in the intro, um, just read a quick quote, says upholding an anti-speciesist approach does not mean perpetuating human oppression. On the contrary, vegans must recognize that if we are going to win the fight for non-human animal liberation, we must also openly join the fight against human oppression. And so could you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yes. um, You know, human and non-human oppression is, is interconnected. Um, The oppression of people of color is, intertwined with that of of non-humans and non-humans are otherized um, and then used to otherize us um, through a system based on supremacy um, that basically deems us um, less than the ruling majority so you can't have human liberation without human uh, non-human liberation without human liberation and vice versa and this that which I need to say, this does not mean that human and non-human oppression are the same. They are justici- justified in the same ways, but they are not the same at all.
1: Just kind of be jumping around for a few different points in the, the introduction here, but I feel like a, a lot of what the book kind of emphasizes for, for white vegans especially is staying in your lane. And I'm wondering if you can sort of explain what that means in terms of vegan advocacy.
0: So, saying you're late means basically just stop. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> listen. Stop. Listen. Educate yourself on other oppressions. Listen again. Stop. <laughs> Recognize that you can't speak for other communities when you basically experience a different reality to others. It means working on your own communities and not focusing on ours. You know, we we know our issues, and even though you don't see it, um, we are working on them. So basically take a step back and ask how to support the work that Begins of Color are doing instead of assuming that you know um, how to address them um, or how to address or speak to our own communities.
1: And, um, at, at times the book explores this difference between diversity and intersectionality. And I think many people might say, well, aren't those one and the same? And so like, what do you think the difference is between those two and why is it important to make that distinction?
0: Diversity is, is just, you know, adding people of different communities to your group, for example, while intersectionality is understanding how different impressions intersect and how, That affects members in your group, um, which means more awareness of root issues and why we need to practice consistent anti-oppression. So just adding, you know, we see this we see this often where there is a group and, you know, suddenly they have, you know, a a Latin person (laughs) or a black person. But are those people just, you know, being added for show or are those people added and their ideas and um, you know being listened to? Are they being allowed to lead? Are they being allowed to reach out to their own communities? So that, that's a very, very key difference in that one actually helps understand how this is all interconnected.
1: And uh, something that I found really helpful in the book is is sort of a list of of things that, that white people can do to sort of be more consistently inclusive of anti-oppression and to be more supportive of vegans of color, which I, I think is, is crucial because I think a lot of people that are sort of new to this, they enter in and they hear the, the sort of the theories and the philosophy behind it and they agree. But they're like, well, what do I do? What does that mean? What does that look like? And it, it's very clearly laid out. Uh, within the book. And and I'd love to have you, um, you know, you've already spoken to a few of the points just through our conversation, but uh, a few that I kind of wanted to hit on and just have you uh, expand upon uh, the first of which being do not use people of color as targets of your campaign.
0: That goes back to, you know, otherization or choosing groups that are already seen as different and choosing whatever form of exploitation they take part in. To single them out and focus on and a lot of the time that's based on racism and you know why are you focusing on this small community when all um, non-human oppression is wrong and instead of why are you focusing on what they're doing I mean that's not saying that these um, specific non-humans don't need help but um, this goes back to work on your own community because you know all all communities are um, involved in non-human animal exploitation. And if you're targeting a community that, that already uh, faces oppression due to, you know, systemic racism, um, xenophobia, um, or a myriad of other oppressions, um, why are you focusing on them? But you're not focusing on your own communities which I'm sure are taking part in using animals for entertainment, for eating, uh, sorry, for food, um, experimentation, and the myriad other ways that non-humans are being exploited. So wouldn't it make more sense to speak about veganism as a whole on behalf of all non-humans instead of focusing um, on people of color and targeting them within campaigns, if that makes sense? Yeah,
1: no, it definitely does. Um, and the, the next point that I want uh, to have you address was never use the historical oppression of people of color uh, of any historically oppressed group to draw similarities within our fight for non-human animal rights. And uh, I, I definitely find this to be a pretty common tactic that's used. And I think a lot of people say, well, isn't this the best way to get people to, to truly get at what's going on? If I say... This can be compared to the Holocaust or slavery or whatever it might be. Um, so, could you expand on that point?
0: It's not. It's not okay. Um, and like I mentioned before, human and non-human oppression is not the same. They are justified in the same way. Um, you don't need to use human oppression to garner sympathy, sympathy for non-humans because, you know, they're veganism and animal rights on their own are are valid (laughs) Um, and it's it's basically just wrong to use human oppression that never actually went away to highlight the oppression of others when most people doing this um, you know the people who who actually invoke um, the these comparisons um, and examples uh, have no ties to oppression or to the oppression that they're using um, or are not even putting in the work against the oppressions um, they are using. And they're simply using them for their own cause.
1: And uh, the last point that I wanted to have you address was uh, never use people of color to justify the oppression of anyone.
0: This is something that, that I've started seeing a lot, in, especially in a lot of groups, where people have started using pro-interest Pro intersectionality as a mask for speciesism. And intersectionality does not mean in any way that humans are above non humans. We can work on both um, and try to be as anti speciesist as possible um, without, you know, throwing, you know, and, and work on human issues without throwing non humans under the bus. And I've seen this, oh, well. You know, I'll never stand up for non-humans as long as people of color, this or that. But that's not how it works. You know, you can be consistently anti-oppression and do as much as you can. But, you know, what exactly are you solving by, you know, putting one over the other that's still rooted in supremacy? And what we need to look more into is root um, root issues and how... Uh, For example, communities of color don't even have access um, to veganism or plant-based diets because of their oppression. For example, food deserts or um, indigenous communities across the world that live in in poverty uh, don't even have access to to basic necessities. You know, you can't uh, expect people of color to readily embrace a veganism that's not even accessible to them. And this is where it all comes together and and thinking about these root issues is really important.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, there there were many other points in there, but I think those are some of the ones I really wanted to highlight. Uh, again, very much recommend for everyone to pick up this book. I think it's a really wonderful resource. I think very concisely put, if anyone's looking for a good Sort of primer and introduction to these things, then it's certainly a great place to turn to. In the preface of the book, you acknowledge, you know, of course, not every community was able to be represented. So I'm wondering, are, do you have plans for a second edition of this book? Are there any viewpoints that you specifically want to seek out to include if you did that?
0: Um, well, I think one of the, the, the I, I've I've actually been asked this a, a few times now, and I think one of the the things that um, white folks need to understand is that these conversations are actually not easy and um, talking about oppression and basically repeatedly asking for humanity to be recognized is uh, emotionally draining and uh, many vegans of color did not want to be part of this because they have been speaking up for years and basically uh, ignored Um, and I know what that feels like and I understand it completely so this book is sort of like a um one last attempt (laughs) to ask you to hear us you know listen to us um we've been speaking but you haven't really been listening and i think at this point um we're going to try to to speak more to our own communities because they need us so there is a volume two um, which is coming um, in the fall of 2018 and it will cover why vegan um, from vegans of color to uh, people of color and it will include um, many many more vegans of color um, uh, voices that weren't in the first book and um, and this of course will also be a good resource for for white vegans i think to sort of understand where we're coming from as well because you know as as a, a vegan of color i it's not often that you you hear the stories of of other vegans of color unless you're speaking one-on-one and it's rare that you go to a group and you find, you know, in a mainstream group, I mean. Um, So even though this book will have a slightly different um, uh, um, goal, it it will also be be a resource that I think um, white vegans can definitely learn from.
1: All right. Well, we'll definitely look forward to that. And I guess on that note, are there any other future releases from Sanctuary Publishers that you're able to tell us about right now?
0: Yes. uh, We just released um, A Southern Girl's Guide to Plant-Based Eating by Kamitra Hill, and she's a Black vegan from Texas. Uh, I'm working on uh, illustrating uh, uh, a really cool children's book uh, by a new author. That's uh, Secret right now. <laughs> um, Sarita Rodriguez. Um, she will be releasing a um, a vegan food justice book uh, called uh, Food Justice: A Primer in uh, come and later in the spring, early summer. I'm also having the baby and toddler feeding guide translated um, at the moment uh, to Spanish. Um, I'm also working on an activism book um to it, it, this was more of a a, a community uh, project as well and um, it's open for submissions actually where we'll, we welcome uh, submissions from writers and artists uh, from all over um, and the book is meant to be of support to vegans that aren't able to take part in um, traditional forms of activism. So um, vegans that are disabled or have um, mental health um, struggles or basically live in isolation. So it's a way for them to be able to raise the voices of non-humans within their communities. And there are quite a few more books that are in the works.
1: Uh, that, that's awesome. <laughs> Definitely looking forward to checking all of those out on the On the back of veganism in an oppressive world, it states every book sold helps support marginalized communities sales from this book help fund inclusive vegan and animal rights projects and uh, you already mentioned that that every sale from every book sort of goes to a different group or cause or, or whatever it might be that's related to the book um Could you tell us a little bit more about that and and who are the sales from veganism and oppressive world going to
0: uh So part of of what I really wanted to do was use my work to to help raise the voices of non-humans and other marginalized groups. But I also wanted to make sure, um, you know, the books gave back. So um, our first release, the Baby and Teller Feeding Guide, um, helps support Chilis on Wheels. I'm not sure if you know them. It's uh, run by Michelle Carrera. Um, She's she's from Puerto Rico and um, Chilis on Wheels is active. Um, across the U.S. and she's actually in Puerto Rico right now. She flew in right after the hurricane um, to help feed um, as many people as she could, and that's what the organization tries to do. Um, she she helps feed um, homeless people, people in need with warm vegan meals. And being that the theme was, you know, a feeding guide, um, that's why I chose her project. So. Um, the veganism in an oppressive world helps support the food empowerment project and they're a vegan organization that's also working to make plant foods accessible to immigrant um, communities but they also highlight other oppressions such as you know um, child and slave labor in uh, chocolate for example
1: yes we we love uh, Michelle's been on the show Lorna now some food and empowerment projects been on the show we love we love the work that they do you You recently launched veganism of color so could you tell us tell us about that what kind of resources can people find there?
0: Yes, at this point, people of color really need to start hearing hearing from their their own communities, but in a way this is also uh, this is mostly a resource um where people of color can find resources by vegans of color. Um, And also, this is a way to raise the voices of vegans of color, but in a way, this is also, um, in yet another way, this is also a resource for white vegans to be able to, uh, as we discussed, stay in their lane. And, you know, if they come across someone from a different community, they can say, oh, um, here's some information. Here's a link, veganismofcolor.com. Maybe, you know, this this will be helpful. Or um, instead of going into a conversation where the person they're speaking to may not be able to relate to. So that that's the main idea be- behind uh, veganismofcolor.com.
1: So for, for people that are hearing about these books and they really want to get them, what's the best way for people to, to pick them up?
0: You can uh, find them on our website, sanctuarypublishers.com. And also, they are available on um, Amazon and uh, Powell's Bookstore in Portland. um, uh, Just let us know that they will be stalking uh, veganism in an oppressive world. And uh, Vegan Essentials carries um, the Baby and Toddler Vegan Feeding Guide. So there are many ways um, to get them, Um, and you can also stay in touch. Uh, We do have a, we're on Facebook under Sanctuary Publishers, but we also have um, a newsletter, and we're trying to to keep the content um, as diverse as possible, Um, uh, consistently um, anti-oppression, pro-intersectional, and um, non-human-centered. But we're also trying to to dispel a lot of the myths that exist as well um, about communities of color. So that's that's a way to to, to keep up with what we're doing. And of course, our website and if you'd like to support what we're doing since we're new and um, I don't actually make um, any money for myself. I am reinvesting everything we make um, from the books back into new book projects. Um, and paying for, for the publishing and, of course, keeping Sanctuary Publishers afloat <laughs> and going. Uh, we are on Patreon as well under Sanctuary Publishers. And we can also receive donations via um, info at sanctuarypublishers.com um, via PayPal. Sorry.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely everyone should go and check out those resources. Check out the links, get the books. Again, highly recommend Veganism in Oppressive World. Uh, Julia, thank you so much for taking time every day to join us.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for for having me on.
2: Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Julia. If you haven't already, definitely go and check out sanctuarypublishers.com. Check out the book Veganism in an Oppressive World. So, this brings us to the end of our show, Andy. As always, what do you got coming up?
1: Well, March 25th, I'm going to be at the Vegan Street Fair in Los Angeles. And then March 31st, I'll be at the Andy Veg Fest in Indianapolis, Indiana. April 7th, I'll be at the Nashville Veg Fest. April 14th, Wilmington Veg Fest, Wilmington, North Carolina. And April 29th, you'll be at the VegFest Michigan in Novi, Michigan. And at all of those events, just come find me behind the Compassion Company table and say, what's up, Beardo? Hook you up with a button and a sticker. We can chat, you know, crowd permitting. And you can find all those dates, deets, and links just by going to CompassionCo.com. Now, Paul, actually, as I was reading those dates, I just saw a tweet come in, which is really weird because I don't have a Twitter. (laughs) But it is from Hampton Creek, now Just Foods. And uh, I'll just show it to you uh, because it's really weird. It says they're going under a new name. They're going to rebrand yet again. It's a very odd acronym. (laughs) Uh, But they're actually going to start going by the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off.
2: That would be the longest acronym in the world. What? Not saying what's up, Butas.
1: It's just is this weird thing. Oh, I thought I had a point. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Both are widely available, but insufficient to nourish Musu and her family. There's like a motorcycle revving their engine and a car alarm that's going off. <laughs> Jesus. Can you hear that? Yeah. He's he's trying to distract. He's trying to make it so he can't talk. He's outside. So set up that car left. He's, he's outside on a motorcycle, and he, I look out the window, and he just looks at me, and then he, like, flips down sunglasses and motorcycles. <laughs>
1: Does a couple donuts.
2: <laughs> <Dude>. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> what has even happened?
2: There's just a motorcycle that was... The motorcycle's gone, but now the car alarm's still gone off. <clears throat> I think I'm just going to start over, because I feel like it... Oh, my God. Oh, here we go.